Good morning to you. We are continuing thinking about this idea of how the story of Christmas, the story of Advent in the Gospels that we read about and really prophesied from in the Older Testament, summons us um, to consider again who Jesus is. And so this morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, the story about the Magi. And so hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let, let me start with just asking you this question of who do you trust? Like, who do you trust? And why do you trust them? And it probably, you know, context probably matters here. If um, I'm sick, I'm probably not going to go to the mechanic, right? I'm going to go to my physician. If I'm hungry, um, going to the movies might be fun, but I probably should go to a restaurant. Like, when you think about who you trust, part of the question is, what is it you're really asking about? What do you really need? You know, where do you go for greater things like direction and guidance and insight for wisdom? You know, who do you trust for such things? Now, for some, it might just be themselves. You kind of think, I'm really the best judge of what's going on in the world, and so I am going with my opinion nine times out of ten. I'm just going with what I think. You could try that. Um, another, another approach is personal achievement. If I achieve things, I'm valuable. If I fail at things, I'm not valuable. I'm going to base kind of who I think I am and what the world's about on my ability to accomplish things. You know, for some, it's completely the opinions of others. I mean, you just, your opinion on things just change every, every single day based on what came up in your news feed. Like, everybody looks to something for guidance, to influence them, to help them think, help them decide what's significant. And what the Scriptures are calling us to, and what the Magi were called, called to in this wonderfully mysterious way, is to consider the God of heaven and earth as actually someone we can know, someone we can trust, someone we can follow, someone who might use things you wouldn't think he would expect to tell the greatest story ever told. Like some magi noticing a star and thinking, what is happening? 
the world is changing. The universe is being impacted. Let's go see what's happening. You know, the Scriptures are meant to give us direction about reality. They're meant to give us guidance. And although the Scriptures don't answer every single question you can come up with, okay, it doesn't answer every single question your heart can muster, the Scriptures very much answer every single question you actually need answered. And that can feel unsatisfactory, but again, where do we go for guidance? We look to God, we look to His Word, and in a lot of ways, what we learned this morning is how the wise men looked to the stars not really looking for God, but seeing there was a king that was born, and they follow the star, and what they discover is the reality that God has sent His Son to dwell among us. And consider the wise men in this story. They're, they're, they're actually following a star. They're actually trying to discover who God is, they're, they're, or at least what this wondrous miracle that has happened has taken place. They're looking now, where do you look? You know, I remember when I was in seventh grade and my science teacher, we had microscopes, right? You look in these microscopes and, and she puts a little drip of something on a, a, a little glass and you look at it and you're like, oh, there's lots of stuff in there. What is all that, right? You see beyond what you can see normally. Or maybe you're into, you know, astronomy and you look at a telescope and you look into the heavens. Now, I remember once looking at um, Saturn, you could kind of see the rings even from the telescope. I'm like, that's amazing. You know, God has given us in the universe lots of things that are meant to tell us this. You ready? You can't know everything on your own. There's something greater than you. There's something beyond you. And I'm going to tell you what is the most significant thing. I'm going to send my son to dwell among you and to invite you into a story. And I'm going to use people that you would think would not be part of the story. Think about the Magi for a minute. They're astrologers, okay? They're, they're astrologers. They're from the East. In biblical history, they're probably coming to see Jesus when he's about two years old. We learn in the Gospel of Luke about a um, census that's being taken. And so these men from a faraway land, from Persia or India or somewhere, who worship the stars, God speaks into their world and draws them into this wonderful story that we remember every Christmas, that God changed even the universe by sending His Son to dwell among us. Now, normally you'd preach over this passage after Christmas because that's like during Epiphany, but during this season, like culturally, everyone's thinking about Christmas, like what is Christmas all about? What is Advent all about? Why does everyone get so excited during this season? And what God, I think, wants you to hear this morning, at least in this text, is that He has sent His Son to invite you into the story of His grace. Even if you think you're not worthy to be included. Even if you think you're not someone He would be interested in. If this story tells us anything, the Magi from a completely different place that we know very little about, who are regal in every way, who are worshiping the stars and horoscopes and that kind of thing, God says, you're part of the story. I'm making you see who I am. And when they see Him, for who He is, they worship Him. They begin to be transformed. I've read a couple different lines from John Milton's poem on the Nativity during Advent. Let me read this one as we think about the wise men. These are a couple lines. See how from far upon the eastern road the star-led wizards haste and odors sweet O run, prevent them from thy humble ode, and lay it lowly at his blessed feet. Have thou, have thou the honor first, thy Lord, to greet, and join thy voice unto the angel choir, from out his secret altar touched with hallowed fire. 
Now, the story of the Magi is meant to expand our understanding that actually this message is not just for first century Jewish people. It's not just for the faithful Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's actually for the world. It's for you right now in the 21st century to hear about God's incredible summons to be part of His story, summoned to something great. So, what we're going to do is we're going to consider a couple different aspects of the summoning from the text this morning. First, there's a summons to a greater king. There's a summons to a greater king here. As the wise men, they're going and looking for Jesus. They're going or looking for this thing the stars are speaking of, and they discover a king. They're being summoned in. And anytime you think about a king, something else that comes up to mind are competing forces, right? There are other kings. You know, whether it's physics, the laws of nature, your household, whatever. People have different agendas and desires. And this, there's a summons here to a greater king. So you have King Herod in the story. And, you, and, and his response to hearing about this new king of the Jews coming is what? From verse 3. When King Herod heard this from the wise men, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Why were they disturbed? They were disturbed because there was now a competing king. There was another king, and even if it was the one that had been prophesied about, King Herod did not want his power played with. And so there's a summoning to a greater king, and their response is to be disturbed. Now, if your friend is reading a book, and you say, hey man, how's that book? And they go, it's disturbing. It's probably not, like, it may not be the next book on your reading list, unless you're really into that kind of thing, I guess. Herod, King Herod, the one who has power, is disturbed because he sees happening what has been prophesied in the Older Testament. There's a kingdom of men, a kingdom of men versus the kingdom of heaven here. You know, many forces are being moved in this passage. King Herod is accessing his forces. He realizes that something's going on that's formidable. And so what does he do? He goes to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He says, hey, there's these wise men. And they're look, they say they've seen something going on in the heavens. And, they're, and, they're, and they've come to find the king. And they've come here. Like, what's up with that? And they're like, well, yeah. Um, yeah, right here the prophet says, you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod goes, uh-oh. What's up? There's something changing here. So there's, a, there's this like crisis even. So King Herod raises up his forces. He tries to marshal his forces. Then he tries to influence the Magi and says, hey guys, I kind of want to worship him too. So when you find him, will you come tell me about him? Now we know that actually Herod was responsible for killing all of the children in that age group, right? And so King Herod is trying to manipulate even these Magi to sort of push back against this other king that is rising. King Herod is essentially rejecting this other king even though it's been prophesied, even though it's been promised. Now, I was thinking about, like, how do we do this today? How do we reject God? Because everybody, whether you've been following Jesus your entire life, or you're sort of new to following who Jesus is, there's this constant battle that goes on within us of trying to either follow Him or not follow Him, or to put it more directly according to the story, to either worship the King or reject the King. How do you do that? Well, some ways I do it is, um, you know, whenever... I'm in a situation where someone needs me to be gracious, and I sort of snap. Like, what am I doing in that moment? I'm actually believing that my response to them is a better response than what God's calling me to do, to be gracious. Or maybe it's um, at at a workplace. You've got somebody who's really offended you. They've actually sinned against you. They've done something that that deserves 
forgiveness, and you're thinking, I don't want to do forgiveness. I want to do anger and bitterness because they need to suffer some. I need to know they experience it, and then maybe if they've done it enough, then I'll feel better, and then it'll be okay. That's another kingdom. The kingdom God's calling us into is one where he calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven, to be gracious as we have experienced grace. And so for Herod, he's seeing that this is happening, and he's like, I do not want to accept this kingdom. I'm going to reject it. And I think for each of us, especially during this season of Advent, and we head towards family gatherings, and for some that's more exciting than others, um, to ask the question of how does God want me to love others as he has loved me? How has he wanted me to live into being gracious as he's been gracious to me? And where are you going to draw the power to do that but from the one who threw the stars into the heavens and knows them by name and sent the magi even to worship this king? Cognitively, I know that it's better to trust Jesus. Cognitively, I know that. But in my heart, I struggle with it at times. What do we do in that moment of struggle? We remember the story. This one has come. He changes everything. He invites us to worship him. It's interesting. Jesus is also a king. How does the king of heaven, or at least his father in this moment, since he's two years old or less, how does the kingdom of heaven respond to opposing forces? Does he send the angels to strike Herod down and to knock him off the face of the earth? Does he send a plague to kill off every single person who threatens his son? Does he lead the wise men astray because he's not sure if he can trust them to actually be part of the story? How does the king of heaven and earth respond to those kings who oppose him? What he does is he wins their hearts. He's gracious, he's kind, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and he actually woos the hearts of even the magi, who you wouldn't think would be part of the story, to play a significant role in pointing and saying, there he is, there's the king, worship him, he made all things. He knows us. The Lord sends a baby to win us this season. That's why we get so excited about Advent, the newborn king, to invite us to be part of the greater kingdom. So we're summoned by a greater king. We're also summoned into a greater story. Again, think about the Magi for a moment. The Magi um, had to have been highly regarded, right? The Magi show up from Persia or India very far away, Zoroastrians or astrologers of some kind. That was kind of hip and cool during, during that age. And they show up, and there could have been two, there could have been three, there could have been 50. We don't know. We think there's three because there's three gifts. It kind of makes sense. They each brought a gift. But imagine these Magi from a faraway land showing up and saying, we demand an audience with the king. Now, what would be the likelihood that the guards would say, absolutely, you look like you're homeless, you look like you're a vagrant, you're smelly, you don't look like you have anything to offer, but sure, let me go get the king for you. They were royal. They were regal. Their very presence communicated, oh, there's someone great who's requesting an audience with Herod. And again, it boggles my mind that you just wouldn't even expect him to be part of the story, but that's how small my view of what God's doing is. He includes them. You know, who are the people in your life that you think God might not care about? Who are the people in your life that you think are beyond God's reach? It's not, they're not. We're actually probably those people. On the other side of the planet, in the 21st century, in a very different culture, hearing this story from a first century 
uh, these prophecies fulfilled in the first century and our lives are being transformed by it. God is extending this invitation to everyone who will listen to come and to worship this king, to be summoned into this greater story. The Magi came to worship the new king because his presence moved the stars. They had constellations. They knew the heavens. They could, they could navigate. They understood where the stars were. And they go, whoa, what is up with that? That is different, and we are going to go follow it. So the Magi are caught up in this greater story. Um, the Magi were pursuing a sign, but it's interesting. It's not that they were actually looking for a sign. They, they saw a sign, and they followed it. But they, they weren't actually saying, okay, God, if you're real, show me a sign. Now, sometimes we do that. Sometimes when we want to know what it means to engage with God and have a relationship with Him, we kind of put our own stipulations on how to approach Him. The Magi recognize that something has happened and they say, wow, what is that? that that's what we're meant to do in the, with this story and with the season of Advent. If it's true that God sent His Son to be born among us in a manger and to live this perfect life and then to die on the cross for us and then to rise again from the dead, and we look at that story, and just for a moment we say, I'm going to accept it as absolutely true with no doubts. It's probably going to change how you think about who God is, and it's meant to. He is the one who comes to sacrifice for us. He's the one who sends the sign, the child. And the magi, the joke's kind of on them, because they're trying to interpret the star, and as they follow it and they see this newborn king, actually the star begins to interpret them. They are invited into this story and they begin to realize this is who the stars are speaking of and He is the maker of all things. It's why as we read here in the story, they don't go back to Herod. They choose the other king. They actually go home a different way because they're part of this new story. Now, for King Herod, his hope is in his power, right? And, his, and, his, and power is kind of his idol, and his idols are afraid. Because if this newborn king is who the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are saying he is, King Herod's power goes away. Now, why did that scare King Herod? Partly because he didn't really believe that this new king would be good for him or for his desires. And there's probably times where you wonder if God's will is good for you. Like, is it really good, Lord, for me to forgive? Is it really good for me to trust you? Is it really good for me to follow you in this area? The only thing that keeps us from following God in certain places is our doubt that either A, He's good, or B, that He knows what He's talking about. And this story is inviting us to actually believe that God is who He says He is, that He's the King of heaven and earth, that He's the one who is even able to disturb the powers that be and replace them with the King of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ Himself. Now, let's think about the story of the star for a moment. This star is a promised star. Now, I don't really know much about astrology or Zoroastrianism, but there's something going on there where they're able to say, oh, that's an amazing star. So it's a promised star for them. In verse 4, we read it's actually a promised star for the people of God as well. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And if you go on and continue to read the prophet, in Isaiah and in other places, Zechariah, there's a promise of a newborn king coming to dwell among his people, and this is where he'll be born, and it'll be during this time, and even the heavens will cry out that this is who, we are, who has been born. And so they're like, this, this does seem to line up. 
And so it's a promised star. It's an alluring star. It's drawing them in. You know, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, do you think about it as God actually wooing you and chasing after you? Now, I don't know everybody's individual story in this room, but if you've been following Jesus, my sense is, is that if you, if you just stop for a moment and you, re- and you think about different places in your life where you've experienced God's grace, then, then you know that God actually draws us to himself. That the reason any of us have a relationship with him is not because he's particularly impressed with us, although he does love us as a father loves a child. That we're part of this story because he's drawn us in. Because we are his people. Because he has made promises to us and, he's a, and he has great affection for us. Psalm 147 verse 4 says this, He determines the number of the stars. He calls them each by name. If he knows the name of every star, how much more aware do you think he is of your life and your situation, and your hopes, and your dreams, and your prayers, or even your days. That even today, God has designed for you to be in this place, and to hear this story again, and to know that you are being summoned to a greater story. Which leads me to this final idea of summoned to a greater way. If, you were to, if someone were to ask you, what's the greatest architecture in the world? Like, How would you answer that question? The most pervasive architecture in the world. Maybe that's a better way to put it. What's the most pervasive architecture in the world? Is it the Taj Mahal? The White House, maybe? Pyramids of Giza? The Great Wall of China? What's the most pervasive architecture in the world? It's roads. Roads are everywhere. Roads are the key to getting from one place to another. They're significant for us. And this star is actually meant to be kind of like a roadway to seeing who God is. The Magi follow it. And when they get there, they see this king and they are moved to worship him. The way of the Magi leads to Christ and they celebrate him. The way of the history of the Bible leads to Christ. The entire Old Testament is moving towards these pages right here in the very first page of the Newer Testament saying all these promises are coming true. This star is even pointing to the one that you are meant to worship. The Magi knew the stars They loved and appreciated them, but they were summoned to something greater. I think that would be my question for you this season. To ask yourself, what are you really being summoned to? This is a magnificent story of God's pervasive grace, of Him him including people you think He might not include, and a picture of all the links He will go to to make sure the story of who Jesus is goes out into our world and into our hearts. Have you really wrestled with the story of Jesus' love for you? The mystery of it? the wonder of it. For the Magi, it was the stars. You know, maybe if you're a parent, you've seen your, when you first see your child born, it makes you say, God is good. He has given me a child. Or maybe it's creation. Maybe when you look in the mountains, you think to yourself, God is so grand and magnificent. You know, I have a friend who's an artist. He showed me some of the art recently, and I looked at it, and I thought to myself, wow, it's amazing how God's image bearers can create such beautiful things. When you see other people, do you see God's presence even coming through them? We're meant to. Or Paul in the book of Acts, when he's with all the idols there in Acts 17, and there's one idol to the unknown God, and he goes, let me tell you about this one. And the people follow him on that way, down that road of seeing who God is. That would be my challenge for you this season, is what's your, what's your spiritual road right now? Where are you in your journey? Are you moving toward understanding God's grace for you? His way leads to life. His way leads to hope. You know, as we approach Christmas, my prayer for you is that you might taste 
and see both the mystery of Christ as well as His love for you and the hope that He offers us in the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we consider just, it's hard to even wrap our minds around how you could move the stars and draw these magi from afar to come and to worship you. What it must have taken for that to happen. And yet, I'm reminded that you are the hound of heaven who pursues us. That every single man, woman, and child in this room is someone that by the power of your Spirit, you're pursuing in some way. And I would pray, Lord, we would have ears to hear it a heart to receive it, that as we think about you as our King, we would not reject it, but we would embrace the promises that are ours in Christ. Would you move in us even today as we celebrate your great sacrifice for us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.